leafy tunnels. Spatters of roadkill and weeks of fallen fruit mix with rain on the road surface, so that at times it seems as if the car is skating. I turn the wheel and change gears instinctively. My thoughts of David and the ten capitalised text messages he sent this morning, contained and measured by my driving, as if I've capped off my brain and left the worst thoughts behind to be collected again on arrival. I jumble together an excuse. A surprise call from an old school friend yesterday. Too much to drink, so a hotel was best. The alibi will have to do. I'm too hungover to be creative. And I pray my recent good behaviour will be enough to convince David that staying away last night was a one-off. A small error in our otherwise ordered marriage. My explanation logged and I'm free to indulge my favourite driving fantasy, which takes me further along the road to a place I've never been, somewhere, anywhere, until my car runs out of petrol and fate decides the end point, like a pin in a map. The scent of last night is still on my skin, and I wonder if, when I've found my new home, I would call Will, or whether it would be best to start afresh. Perhaps today. It's the day to find out. And I press the accelerator, the country road barely holding the width of my car, and imagine the place where I'll make a new life for myself, where I'll be effortlessly healed. Ahead of me is an oak. The enormous trunk would span the girth of two horses, and the branches weave into the sky. A near-perfect yew in the road rounds the tree. I change down a gear and steer sharp, wheels gripping the wet road as the engine rises an octave and each tree and shrub is a streak of green past my window. Then a white band of skin, wide eyes, a crack, the body flips forward, smash against the windscreen. Glass shatters, I stamp the brakes too late and whatever I've hit flies over the car in a floppy cartwheel, crumpling on the road behind. I skid to a halt, engine still running, my breath panting in and out, sharp and shallow. Seconds or minutes, I check my rearview mirror. On the road behind is a smudge of red from the taillights. Twenty metres from that, a pile. Thick, dark liquid spreads on the tarmac. Nothing moves, apart from the rain which pounds the ground. It's just an animal, I whisper, then say it loud to make it real. It's just an animal. Easing the car into gear, I manoeuvre a five-point turn and edge closer until I'm a metre away. Clothes, not fur. Fingers, not hooves. Swaddled in a heavy coat, his face always covered by a scarf and hat. I recognise him. A local homeless man who trudges the roads near my house. I teeter from the car. Step forward, then crouch a few inches away. Rain soaks me and runs down my face, gathering at my eyebrows and chin. The scarf round the man's face has come loose, and it exposes a woolly beard, a long, ugly nose. I shut my eyes for a few seconds. Who was the last person to be this close to him? Panic pinballs in my chest. When I open my eyes, I tug at the scarf to cover him up 
and return him to the being he was a few minutes ago. But the fabric is caught under his head. His neck is slack like a broken doll. From my pocket, I take out my mobile. It slips like a fish from my shaking hands onto the wet tarmac. I grab it and press random buttons to bring it back to life, then wave it above my head. But there's no signal. The man's smell is sharp and strong with a feral bite, earth mixed with old piss. And it flips my memory to a time when I saw him at the village shop, close to my house, where the same aroma had filled the room. In the shop, he had with him his trademark briefcase, his unique and infamous logo of eccentricity. The bag made you look twice when you saw him walking with a gentle limp. It was the kind of case in which a gentleman would take his...